Welcome into the Dubcast, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, as we are each and every single week, brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11 Warriors. Please go there and buy things. Czar still has not given me anything. Just an update really? for you. Three weeks into football season, it's Oklahoma week. We're playing a team south of the Mason-Dixon, and still the czar has not gotten anything done. So, still skimping, you know, yeah. That's that's unfortunate. I'm sorry to I hear I just that. don't know if, if it's ever going to happen, Johnny G. Um, you know what? I might just get you one. When's your, when's your birthday, Bo? <laughs> No, that can't be the way it is. <laughs> I, it, it has to come from the czar, uh, and and that's the only way that I'll accept it. Um, that, that's just the only way it's going to go, buddy. All right, um, it's Oklahoma week, so my, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this Tulsa situation. I, uh, there's not a lot of reason <laughs> for it. It was a it's a weird game to start with, um, and maybe that is where we start. You know, as I'm watching this thing, and I'm actually at this place called Dive Bar in downtown Cleveland watching this. I had a radio appearance down there, and I got to tell you, buddy. The bar was slammed with Buckeye fans. I mean, slammed. Like, Northeast Ohio's infatuation with Ohio State, the, it's, it shocks me in a year how much growth I've seen and how much passion there is up here for Ohio State. I know Cleveland's always been, you know, mostly an Ohio State town, but there's been Michigan people. But I think just the suckiness and the rock-bottomness of the Cleveland Browns has just brought more and more people onto the Ohio State thing, and it's really cool. And we're doing a lot more radio Ohio State talk on radio too. So it, it's really hear. cool what's going on up here. Yeah, it really is. But I digress, as Tim May would say. What what struck me, buddy, is is the the thing I just coming up come up to is weird. Weird game, weird opponent, weird weather, weird performance. That that's where I am. I it was yeah. just one of the most bizarre, weird experiences as an observer of Ohio State football that I've ever seen. The weather delay contributed to it. The opponent contributed to it. The way Ohio State played before the weather delay contributed to it. I don't know why they played the game. The whole thing just was weird to me. <laughs> just a twilight zone kind of game. It was kind of a twilight zone game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much you can glean from either of these two games. I mean, the first game, obviously, against Bowling Green. I mean, I enjoyed it immensely. I kind of was excited at the prospect because I was looking at the the weather forecast well in advance going, Oh man, we're going to get a delay. That's going to be something that hasn't happened in a long time. Let's see what's up. You know, maybe we'll have to camp. I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. I just, You're I excited, excited for a delay. Look, I what? just get excited. I get excited watching weather. All right. It has nothing to do with the delay. I just think it's interesting to see weather. I have, okay. I've got a thing since childhood where I have a very odd obsession with watching forecasts and I don't know why I do it. I just do it. So I was like, oh, this is going to impact the game. That'll be interesting. And it, right. it wasn't, but it happened. And I thought that was kind of, you know, it was a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know how much was. you can actually glean from this game. I don't know that you can really say like, oh, JT Barrett's improving or getting worse or anything like that. Or the running game needs to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, it was because of the delay, because like you said, the weird nature of the opponent. Um, it, I don't want to say it was a nothing game, but it just didn't really tell me much about the team. And ultimately, that's what you want out of early season games, especially going into a huge game like Oklahoma. So I'm with you on all that. I didn't tell me much about the team, didn't tell me much about the players. It told me a little bit about some coaches. And okay. these are the next two things that are interesting to me about the Tulsa situation. Number one, it told me that Greg Schiano is having a pretty significant impact on the backside because... Mm. In my time covering Ohio State, I don't remember defensive backs flying around like these ones are. These with dudes, purpose too, right? With, oh, like they buddy. know where they're going. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It's really fun to watch through two games, and they're going to get a big test this week with Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's a you know, you know, a wild gunslinger of a quarterback. So they're going to, you know, that's going to be a step up. 
But from the standpoint of just watching a secondary play, and they maybe have had more talented secondaries, although I might take that back by the time I'm done with the season with what I'm seeing from Malik Hooker and some of these other guys. But, man, it's just cool to see these guys flying around, making plays, big hits, chasing the ball, ball hawking, taking them back for six. Like, we've gone a long time and not seen that. And, yeah. and you know, it's been better since Urban's been the coach, certainly much more aggressive on the back end. But, boy, there's a difference this year, even from previous Ohio State teams, in terms of the way that they attack the ball when it's in the air. And it's refreshing, and it's fun to watch. And Luke Fickle deserves a lot of credit for the way his defense is playing. And Greg Schiano, I think, deserves a lot of credit for what we're seeing out of the back end. Yeah, I mean, there is an argument to be made, and maybe this is an argument I want to make right now, but, again, like you said, later in the year, that this defensive secondary might actually be better and more talented overall, top to bottom, than last year, and that's a crazy, crazy thing to say. That's nuts, yeah. But again, you know, you look at some of the stuff like you mentioned with Hooker. I mean, we had some analysis on the site uh, from Kyle Jones, and the things that they're able to do by putting him out in center field and just tell him to you know watch the quarterback's eyes and all the other kind of things that they're doing. When I say they're moving with purpose, it doesn't feel like they're just out there trying to be athletes. It's like they are much better coached, at least in terms of being able to recognize offenses and how to react to them and that's personally look I was real negative about the Oklahoma game I'm still kind of negative I think overall but (laughs) no but seriously where I think Ohio State has the chance though is that their secondary has proven to be much more intelligent and game ready than I really thought they would be at this season at this point in the season so for me that's that's what's given me hope for this Saturday yeah man like who could have predicted this like this type of this type of uh play out of this back end and you know, Luke probably has taken a lot more slings and arrows than than he deserves. Over, he's actually done a pretty damn good job as a defensive coordinator. He doesn't get much credit when they when the defense is good. He doesn't get much credit. It's usually an assistant who gets credit um, for whatever reason. I think people, you know, deep down, still hold 2011 against him, even though that was the most untenable situation a coach has ever been in <laughs> in their life. Okay, um, but I I think there's still a little bit of that. But what I would say is that he he coordinates a pretty damn good defense and. Greg Schiano's involved in that, obviously, now. And the addition of Schiano, who let's remember that he basically built the Rutgers program from nothing into a team <laughs> that, that could play. I mean, they were pretty good and they recruited players. And then from there, you know, the NFL happens and and we know what goes on from there. But this was a guy who many people thought would be the next coach at the a next big school, Penn State, Michigan, those type of places. So even Ohio State, potentially, who knows? Always it was Penn State was the one you were heard about. And maybe he ends up at Penn State. Maybe Franklin gets fired and Shano ends up back at Penn State. I'd hate to see that because I think he's really competent. Um, but but he's that's a hell of an addition to a coaching staff. We talked about that this summer. To go, you lose Chris Ash, you did a pretty dang good job. He goes to Rutgers, then all you do is hire the best coach in the history of the program to go to <laughs> build the program to be an assistant defensive coordinator or whatever the hell his title is. Like it, It's an absurd luxury to have. Um and he, you know, he's paying instant dividends, and you get, you got to give it credit. If Zach Warren said something so smart on the television show that we taped today um, that you can check out on Time Warner Cable Sports Channel. Zach said that the first time that he's been following Ohio State, that the defense led the way, that the defense is setting the tone for the football program. And he's right. Through this, through two games, and heading into Norman this week, the defense is carrying the water. Yeah, and that's again, that's not what I expected. I don't think that's what anybody expected. And when you're able to set the tone and when you're able to set the tempo on the defensive side, I think that allows some of the the playmakers on the offensive side who maybe are a little green, maybe haven't faced the same kind of adversity 
that you know you would want out of a team you know that's going to contend for a Big Ten championship or a national title to really have. And I you know I was watching the game and and Web or uh, Weber kind of had a slow first half. He wasn't you know he was not having a great game. He, he had a decent game, not really breaking out any crazy runs or anything like that. It didn't look like he was playing with the same kind of force that he did in the first game. When you are able to get that guy by, back out there, you know, do a three and out, get that guy back out there to to run the ball, try to get some kind of tempo. I think that really helps a young team. And for the defense to set that tone, I, I just think that's that's a good sign for especially later down the road. You know, when you're really playing some difficult games on the road uh, in the Big Ten after everybody's tired. I mean, that's it's it's it gets the entire team back up to play. I think. And so that was our edition of the show where we praise what happened in Tulsa. This is the portion of the because I'm an optimist, Johnny. So I always glasses <laughs> half full. We do optimism first. This is the portion of the show where we talk about Tulsa and we're negative, at least yeah. for me. Uh, I was pretty dismayed by the offensive game plan. I was, uh, I thought we were past this. I, this reminded me of last year in the first half of the game. Reminded me of last year. The yeah. uh, unwillingness to, to take shots down the field the inability to get anything going in the pass game. And really, they never did. I mean, I don't think JT threw a touchdown through for 120, 120, 100-some yards. I mean, it was really no impact throwing the football at all. It was shocking to me. I, I really thought we were past this. It was um, timid. It was. And I hate when they play that way with the players they have. And they, it, they tightened up, and it so reminded me of last year. And I'll tell you, buddy, you can't play like that Saturday in Norman. No. Now, possible that they're held holding stuff back for Oklahoma maybe that could be but I didn't even see deep shots I mean it was I think there was one that I counted that I remember there was only one real deep shot if you don't take the top off of a defense they're gonna they're gonna load up and make it hard for you I am a firm believer and this may sound crazy to a lot of people but I think Urban Meyer's offenses are at their best when the deep threat is utilized and I go back to Devin Smith and what he was due to take a defense to take the top off. I don't know that the offense has ever really been better in a short span with perfect circumstances than when Cardale Jones was chucking it downfield uh, and Zeke was then able to just run roughshod. Part of the reason that Zeke was able to have the games he had in that run was because Cardale was a quarterback and he could throw it 100 yards downfield. Now, I'm not taking back what I said about JT Barrett last week and what I've been saying for a while, that the offense is in its best. JT operates it perfectly. Right. But they have to take an opportunities down the field. There have to be some. They can't do what they did against Tulsa. They go If they bring that crap to Norman, it's going to be a long Saturday night in Oklahoma, and it's the last thing you want. So I was a little discouraged. I don't want to make too big of a deal, but I was a little discouraged at what I saw offensively in the past game. So I want to say two things about that. First of all, I completely agree that they, they cannot be timid. They can't. They have to take shots down the field because Oklahoma has a decent defensive line that is just going to tee off on them if they try to just do a little cutesy crap and, and just run the option the entire game. What I will say is that I think that the offense under JT Barrett can be extremely efficient. It, it, it can just eat up chunks of yards at a time. But it's more explosive when you have that deep threat, and that, and I think that's what you saw, uh, you know, in the in the championship season, because people were constantly terrified about what Devin Smith was going to do. Not necessarily because it was such a high percentage play, but just because it happened often enough and made defenses really have to account for that. So any kind of option, which Cardell Jones wasn't great at running, but any kind of option was going to get yards because you had the safeties and everybody playing so far back off the line. Yeah. Um, 
they have to make people respect that. And, and JT Barrett has an arm. I mean, the dude can hit it deep if he needs to. Uh, they have to prove that. And, you know, I completely agree with you. If they if they play timid, if they don't try to stretch the field, uh, Oklahoma's just going to tee off on them. It's going to be very, very difficult, especially if they can't get the running game going. Because that's, that you know, if you can't have the running game going, you don't have a deep threat going, you basically you can't do anything else offensively. you you got to be elite in one or the other. So you have to have the right, home run exactly. hitter or you got to have the deep ball threat and I, I think they have both to be perfectly candid i think they have both they just need to do it and they i'm sure they will I, i'm sure it was a hiccup and you know we were talking to zach again on the tv show and he, and he said he wasn't surprised by this at all because he said those games in between are always tough he said people would say to him were you surprised they get up for bowling green he said no it's the opener you're gonna be juiced up but the in-between game is always the tricky one and in this case, I think it was for Ohio State. Well, that's an, in the words uh, of Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. That's about <laughs> all I have to say about Tulsa. <laughs> so we'll move on to the game that we've all circled. And I, I have to say this. Um, when I was covering Ohio State on a yearly, weekly, daily basis, I don't think I did this enough. And what, what, what I'm about to what, what I'm explaining is when you cover this team or you're a fan of a team or a program like this, and you're able to go to every game, like I was able to do for seven or eight years, go to every Ohio State game. What I don't think I did enough was stop and smell the roses. And what I mean by that is there's an opportunity for our guys that are going to the game to cover it. And everybody, all you fans are going to go and, and all of this stuff. When you go to Norman, stop and smell the roses and mm-hmm. understand how special this situation of these two programs, two of the five best of all time, according to the Associated Press, number one to number two of all time, for these two programs to play, play, this will be the third time, when that OU and Crimson and Cream is on one helmet and the silver bullet is on the other and they collide, understand how rare that is and how damn cool that is. Because it's one of those things, I told this to Eric and to Tim today, and I said, I go, boys, just look around because you may never be back to Norman. You may never be, you may never see, you'll see these two teams next year, but you may never see them again in Norman. You may never be back to Oklahoma in your life. Soak it in and enjoy it because this thing is so special to see these two teams play. The fact that they're both good, and we'll talk about some of the scheduling a little bit later and how the hits and misses on that with their strategy. But Johnny, this is why you love college football. This is why I did it for 20 years and I just devoured it because of matchups like this one of powerhouse programs that don't typically play, but when they do, the world stops on its axis. Right. And you know, no kidding, man. Like I, when I was a kid, I really loved the idea. And maybe this is why I was always looking at the underdogs and, and looking at, you know, max schools and, you know, looking at really kind of lower tier mountain West schools and stuff. Cause I love the idea of a school that would just play anybody. You know what I mean? They're going to go into Norman. They're going to go into Tuscaloosa. They'll whatever they have to do to play the cool, big marquee games. And I understand why big programs don't necessarily want to do that. They've got too much risk, you know, with, you know, it, it's a great reward if you win, but it's, you know, it could be devastating your season if you lose. And I, I love the idea of a team willing to take on anybody. And it doesn't happen often enough. I'm really, really excited for this game. I mean, God, even, you know, Virginia Tech last season was not like this crazy giant matchup, but it was a revenge game. It was yeah. at night. The atmosphere was incredible. I mean, sure. it was just, it was glorious just to watch it. And that was not even, that wasn't, a a game with a tenth the kind of history that this one does uh, have. And I, you know, I just, I want to see more of this and it really is cool to just kind of soak it in and just see the environment. And I don't know, college football needs more of this and it needs, 
I think maybe less hackneyed kind of stuff where we got to have to convince ourselves that it's a big game. We really need to encourage these big, big programs and incentivize these big programs to just start beating the crap out of each other for our amusement <laughs> a little well, bit the, more I think often. the playoff will change that. I think the playoffs yeah. changed because you see now already since the playoffs been, you know, in, in, in place that, you know, Alabama playing USC, like Alabama plays a plenty ambitious schedule playing in the SEC West. They don't need to play USC. They choose to, you tip your hat to them because, you know, when they schedule USC in a neutral site game, um, you know, the, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know how good that team's going to be. And, and they're right. playing a marquee team. So I, I tip my hat to them for that. This is what I'm always very critical I'm not always, but I have been historically critical of the Big Ten and their lack of vision in the way that they schedule with the early non-conference cupcakes that most of the teams in the Big Ten play. Wisconsin's been an aberration to that. Ohio State has too. Ohio State's tried. I will give a lot of credit to Ohio State in the idea of this. I think it's brilliant to play these home and away. I like them better than the neutral field. I like the idea of Ohio State traveling to Norman. I like the idea of selling out their basketball arena for an Ohio State rally. Like, that's freaking cool. That's really cool. Um, I like that better than a neutral site. I'm sure there was a spectacle in Bristol last weekend with Tennessee and Virginia Tech, but that looked like in a ridiculous event to try to watch a football game. They were so far away. Oh like yeah. This, these are, these are two hollowed grounds. Yeah. These are two hollowed grounds. I mean, Norman and Columbus, those two fan bases being able to go to each other's campuses and see now there's, there's value in that. And I, I'm a big fan of that. The one thing that I would like to see is there's been some misses and Ohio state, I think missed on Cal. I think they missed on, uh, the Univ- Miami Hurricanes, you know, you don't know how those teams are going to be. You schedule them 10 years in advance. And I know they've got TCU coming. They've got Oregon coming. They've got Texas and Notre Dame. They play those, both of those in like 2023 and 2024, something like that. Both in this, each, they play them both in the same year. Yeah. So that's really cool that they got that stuff going um, that, that's coming up pretty soon. I wouldn't mind if they created a little more of a rivalry with some. And I, this kind of hit me on the TV show we were taping today, and we got into it a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked. So this is kind of a better venue for it. If Ohio State, instead of playing a different team every year, played four or five teams, like almost in a rotation, if that makes sense. So maybe you play Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, Texas, and uh, if you want it to be Tennessee or somebody from the South. And you just, that would be cool to me to, so, that, so that when they play Oklahoma next year, we can see them again in five years or in six years. I think that would be a really cool thing. And Texas, to me, is the most natural. As they've lost Texas A&M, they kind of need that a little bit on their schedule. They don't have like their chief rival. And I'm not saying you're going to replace Texas A&M with Ohio State. But if you played Texas once every five or six years, I think there'd be something to that. So you got a little bit of familiarity, a little bit of a rivalry starts to take place. I, I, would, I don't know if it's even feasible or doable, but I think it would be a really cool thing if they could do it. Yeah, I mean, a school like Notre Dame, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you can manufacture a rivalry. I think that's something that has to be a little more organic than that. But yeah. with that said, I mean, Notre Dame for me would be a really natural team to play on a regular basis. I mean, I'm from southwestern Ohio. I went to a mm-hmm. Catholic high school. You know, there are a lot of Notre Dame fans in southwestern Ohio. There's a lot of Notre Dame fans in northeastern Ohio. There's a lot of Notre yeah. Dame fans all over Ohio because of the proximity and because of the, you know, the Parochial. religious connotation yeah. and stuff. That's the kind of thing that I think we need to see more of. And again, you know, you talked about these two giant programs that are going to be playing each other on Saturday. I mean, it, to me, it's a crime. I mean, you got that, that much history in that close of a proximity, they need to be meeting up. And it shouldn't be something that we got to plan 12 years in advance. Like, you, be able, you know what I mean? Like this, yeah. I feel like this is a knock on the door. This isn't like, you know, a, a, a telegraph that we have to send, you know, by yeah. 
carrier pigeon or some bullcrap. Like, we should be able to just make it happen. I don't understand why it's as difficult as it is. I'll tell you why it is. Uh, I've got a lot of, a little bit of an insight into the Notre Dame, the way they view things. First of all, Notre Dame's obviously biggest rivals, USC. Right. And then they view Michigan, you know, they play all the naval, you know, the service academies always. And then they play Michigan most times. So Notre Dame's thing is, and this, Ohio State fans are going to laugh. Their view is they don't need Ohio State. They're already playing a big Midwestern power in Michigan. Notre Dame views itself as a national university. That's the way. That's why they're not in the Big Ten because they don't need the Big Ten. They're already right. in the Midwest. If they were ever going to join a league, they would join the ACC full time, or they'd join the Pac-12, or even the Big Twelve, because that would get them from. They they view themselves from sea to shining sea. They are not. They don't want to be bound by the Big Ten. However, you feel about them and their arrogance or whatever, that's your prerogative. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the way they think. They yeah. think we don't need to play a mid, this many Midwestern teams. They want to play all over the country and be a national university. I agree with you. It makes a lot of sense. I like that they're back on the schedule coming up shortly. I think two other schools that make a lot of sense that you could build that are just such like universities are Texas. Texas and Ohio State are basically doppelgangers. That's basically the same school, just in different locations. Right. Um, and the other one I think would make a lot of sense is USC because there's so many times those two schools have played um, a lot of similarities there too. So, I mean, I, they, they've done a great job of this. I'd like to see them play a team like Oklahoma a little more, but there's some great ones out there. I hope they hit. I mean, I don't know. TCU, we'll see if that hits, how interesting that is. You know, that follows Oklahoma on the schedule. We'll see what happens with Oregon. You know, th that's a school where you better make damn sure you hired the right coach. I don't know for them to be, you know, all the Nike money in the world, if you don't have the right coach and the right style of play, that's a tough place to recruit. Um, but back to this one, it's interesting to me. Um, that Bob Stoops, who I just, I such enjoy listening to him talk. And I know Urban has leaned on Bob a lot when it comes to the way that he's approaching college now. And Bob's a big guy where you drive your kids to school, you're home for dinner. That's the way he's done it. It's a, been a very uh, family oriented approach. He won his national championship early at Oklahoma. He got several other, he's gotten several other at bats in the national championship game. Um, and I just can't help but think that he's there, Jim Tressel. And I mean that in the highest compliment of a championship comes early, you get back to the big stage a lot, embarrassed a few times, both guys embarrassed by Urban when he was at Florida. <laughs> and, and now I think there's maybe some, a little bit of dissatisfaction in the fact that Oklahoma hasn't, that he's no longer big game Bob, that he's little right. game Bob. And this is a big one for him, man. I mean, he needs this sucker. He lost an opener by two scores to the little, little nephew in, in Houston. He, he can't, he needs to kind of, he kind of needs this one a little bit. So to, with that as the backdrop, there's a ton of pressure, I believe, on Oklahoma and this roster, specifically Stoops, to take advantage of this roster he's put together, which looks very talented and looks capable of winning big things. But they're walking into this one with a giant Harambe on their back, if you will. Oh, God. <laughs> I love Harambe. Poor guy. Uh, um, yeah. Well, here's, okay, so... You said that, you know, Bob Stoops is there, Jim Tressel, and, and that's a compliment. And I would agree with you on that. I mean, I think he's a guy who's been able to find a lot of balance in his life. Um, he's, he's very senatorial, I think, in the way that he approaches certain things. Um, what I would say, though, is that in the world of college football right now, being a Jim Tressel of anywhere is a pejorative. And it's, it's a pejorative because you're not seen as sexy, you're not seen, of, seen as interesting, you know what I mean? Yeah. And... Look, I, I think Bob Suits is an incredible coach. I, I think what mm -hmm. he's been able to do over the years is really you know, amazing. And yes, he's lost a lot of 
big time games, and that that definitely you know carries its own Apple Trust. But I just I think you know it's not where college football is at anymore. And and granted, you can be a guy like Nick Saban if you're that unbelievably good and be boring and kind of like you know whatever. But for me, the loss against Houston is kind of indicative of how a lot of college football fans feel about what they want in a coach. And and as insane as it seems, if he loses against Ohio state, he is going to be on the hot seat. And and that's, what's crazy to me about the atmosphere that's around college football is that you could be an amazing coach for an incredibly long period of time. But if you don't have that X factor, if you're not sexy, if, if people aren't talking about you and in a certain way that they want, you know, to be able to talk about coaches, about being innovative and stuff, then you're not seen as good. And, I, I, that that surprises me how quickly that's changed. But again, I, I think you kind of see that in what the talk was about after the, the Houston game. Because you know, it wasn't about two Titanic coaches coming out after right. each other. It was like, this guy's on the rise and this guy isn't doing anything. Yeah, it's really what it is, is recruiting, you know, in the most part. And, you know, I look at their roster and if you look at what they've done in recruiting over the last five, six years, they've really fallen off. You think about what Stoops was doing in the mid 2000s when he was bringing in the Adrian Petersons right. and Roy Williams. And, you know, he's going into Texas and getting the best kids out of Texas. And, um, you know, I don't know if he's doing that anymore. You got a transfer in Mayfield. You got a transfer from Texas A&M, the, the dual threat kid who transferred in, who's going to be their quarterback next year. So they've got some quarterback lineage. It's kind of nice. Piron and Mixon are, are big time players. We got to deal with both of those guys, but I don't see it overall. I don't see those defenses, those Rocky Kalmus, Torrance Marshall defenses that we had, that they had in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s. I mean, you, you remember Tommy Harris on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a freshman coming out of Texas, right. and he was just a beast, and you couldn't deal with him, and he lived up to hype. So I, I don't see like that from Oklahoma anymore. And I didn't, you know, that's why Terrell Pryor was such a big, as we kind of use the Trestle comparison, that's why Pryor was such an enormous recruit, why Jim put so much into it, and in the end, maybe too much into it. Um, but but Terrell was the one who re- was kind of like the reminder that, oh, yeah, Trestle can still get the best player in the country. Cause we right. hadn't seen that for a while, you know, like not, not to go out of state and get the best player in the country. And that's who Pryor was. So Oklahoma, it may be, it may be even that was saying that to himself too. You know what I mean? Like I can still, I can compete on oh, any no level doubt. in terms of there's recruiting. No doubt. There's no doubt that, that, that Terrell Pryor was uh lack of a better word. This is a podcast this is the first thing I can do. I had a dick measuring contest for Trestle. Like it absolutely <laughs> was right. Uh, he, he, he wanted to prove that he could still get that kid. He was enamored with the body type because what he saw from Vince young and how hard he was to defend. He was enamored with that type of player. Yes, absolutely. That was that for Jim Trestle. And I think Bob's kind of in that place. You know, I, you said his seat will be hot. I, I don't know if it will be hot. But it will it will be it will start to have people are probably already starting to question where the program is. You know, has it gotten stagnant? Has it is his stayed on too long? Like you never fire Bob Stoops. I mean, I don't think I mean, even Bobby Bowden was gently nudged, you know, and he he took it way off the rails. Um, So I don't know if he gets fired or run and he's still so damn young. I don't know if he you know, he's still got a long ways to go if he wants. He got that job so young. Yeah, wasn't he like 38? Yeah, he's the winningest coach in the history of their program. I mean, mm-hmm. he's won a national championship. He's played for, I think, two or three others. Um, so he's done so much, um, and he's done it pretty clean. I mean, they've had some incidents, but nothing like Switzer when it was the you know Wild West out oh, there. Right. <laughs> guys yeah. running cocaine out of their Trans Am. So, I mean, it wasn't anything <laughs> like that. So, um, 
you know, he's, he, I think the state of Oklahoma is probably very proud of its football program. He just needs to win a couple of big games. And that's why I think this one is just monumental for him. I mean, Youngstown guy, Ohio state coming off a tough loss. You get him at home. You, it's a young Ohio state team. And Johnny, that's all of those things being said, like to me, this is a no lose for Ohio state. Even if they lose the game, they're fine. Like it's early enough in the season. It's on the road. If they lose, it's fine. We saw them lose early in the season to Virginia Tech at home by three scores and still win the national title. So this takes them out of nothing, uh, whatever happens Saturday night. So to me, if if I'm Urban, going back to some of our comments earlier, if I'm Urban and that offensive staff, boy, let it all hang out. Like let oh. these kids play, have some fun, throw it around. I mean, obviously win the football game, but don't hold anything back and just go play because you can rebound from this. Yeah. No, the narrative, I mean, look, <laughs> the narrative you want to cultivate going into that game is you're the loose team. You're the team that's just playing to have yeah. fun. You're going to throw it all out there. Because I got to tell you something, Bob Stoops, trying to fight the perceptions of who he is as a coach, trying to rebound after the Houston loss, which obviously they, you know, they played a cupcake and they kicked the crap out of him last week, but whatever. Trying to prove that you can win the big game and trying to beat Urban Meyer. Right, trying yep. to show that that you can you can be better than one of the yep. best coaches in the game. Prove that you're still up there. They're the ones who, by all logic, should be playing tight. And if yep. you can come out there and just lay it all out, then that's going to be a huge advantage mentally. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And so I I think this is a real opportunity for Ohio State. I, I'm I'm not a ton confident in the result, um, but <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not going. It's not going to be something I'm going to. I'm going to be buried over because I, I don't think the, the result is actually that important. It's, you know, play well, play loose, you know, try to, you know, do try and get the win. And I think they have a, ever, a very good opportunity to win, but the, this one's really on Oklahoma to handle their business. From a on the field standpoint, there is so much star power in this game. When you think about what Malik Hooker has done in a short period of time, when you think about Curtis Samuel, when you think about Mike Weber potentially ascending into that level, JT Barrett already established in that level, Sam Hubbard, all the draft picks. Then you go to their side, and they've got this Baker Mayfield kid who just sounds like a kid would be the quarterback at Oklahoma, doesn't he? Either that or a Marshall and a Western. Like If your name's right. Baker Mayfield, you're doing so well with the co-heads. I bet he doesn't have time to sleep. Um, so he's got that going for him, which is nice. they got Mixon and Piron at, at running back. We're both studs. It's just a lot of star power. And I'm just excited to see it all kind of converge. Uh, we don't get these early often, but I, it, despite their loss to Houston, I think they're pretty legitimate. And I look forward to seeing all that star power out there. It really has a nice script. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and honestly, what it comes down to for me is how well does the Ohio State defensive secondary play against those weapons that Oklahoma has. I mean, you know, Mixon obviously has been, he made his hay as a running back, but he obviously proved in the first couple of games that the dude can catch the ball. He can really do some damage downfield. So if they can, if they can contain those guys and, you know, Ohio state is able to get the running game going and obviously open it up with the passing game. I, I think they've got a decent shot. I, I still, you know, I, I put in my prediction on the website this week. I don't think they win this game simply because, there's just too much overall offensive talent. It's at Norman, but in general, like it, they can make a game of it. And especially if those defensive backs live up to what they've been showing us the first couple games, it's going to be a very interesting game, especially in the, you know, the end of the second half, I think. Yeah. I think the most important things for Ohio state, you mentioned the secondary critical, I think it's imperative for the defensive ends, uh, you know, to contain Mayfield. Because yeah. he's he's kind of like Johnny Manziel without the Coke problem. Like that's kind of <laughs> like, 
he's crafty man and he he moves the pocket and when he gets out of the pocket it's havoc and it's panic and then his receivers break free so it's going to be really important that the that those outside rushers are able to contain him in the pocket and keep him in the middle and then for those linebackers to step up and make tackles right it's, it's huge that booker's back everybody says he's back this week i hope so because i think he's he's kind of their big heavy hitter along with raekwon and they're going to need that with Mixon and Piron, I mean, they got to get those guys down. Yeah. So defensively, those are definitely the keys. And we, we kind of alluded to the top of the show offensively. Just this is a JT Barrett game, right? I mean, this is what he, this is whatever faith you had in Ohio State going into this season. We said it earlier in, in the podcast a couple weeks ago. It was predicated on Urban Meyer's incredible incompetence. And it was predicated on JT Barrett, the belief that JT Barrett would be a lead again, right? And if he yeah. is, this is a game. Like this is the time for him to go be a lead is to roll his ass into Norman with this young group and lead this offense and make throws and and be a guy who can finish fifth in the Heisman or potentially better this year. This game's on him offensively. I'm, I, I'm not going to look anywhere else other than the quarterback at Ohio State. There's plenty of weapons. It's about distributing it to the right people and making plays. And, you know, he hasn't had one of these. No. If you think about it, he has not had a game like this. You know, when he stepped in for Braxton – and in in that season, I mean, that was such a crazy year. You know, it was nuts that year. And then he gets hurt in the Michigan game, so he didn't get to play in, in a Big Ten championship game with all that pressure, where they had to blow out Wisconsin. Didn't play against Alabama. Didn't play against Oregon. This is his game, right? Yeah, I mean, you this can you can maybe game. make the claim that like against Penn State or Michigan State, but that's not it's not the same atmosphere. It's not the same kind of environment. Both home games, right? And, and so he's never you played know, a road game like this. Yeah, I mean, he's got to. He's got to show that he is, I think, who we all expect him to be in these types of situations. And like, I love JT Barrett. I, I think the dude is just a, a steely eye. Just like he, he knows how to get things done. He is not. I, I just think his mentality is perfect for this kind of game. And so that's why I'm really excited about it, because they let him open it up a little bit. I don't think you'll see maybe those same kind of mistakes that you saw at the beginning of the first two games where maybe his focus wasn't quite there. Maybe he wasn't really thinking, you know, the way he really should be in terms of like coverages and whatnot. I think he'll be like on point on yeah. Saturday. So that I'm not particularly worried about. Um, if there is a turnover, I think that that might, you know, an early turnover that leads to points is going to kill Ohio state. I'm not super worried about that happening, but you know, like I said, this is where this is where we really find out what JT Barrett's made of. I yeah, think this is this is where he yeah. shows up and and we you know see what we want to see. Yeah, this is a referendum on on him his career to this point, really, uh, because this is a you know this isn't stat padding like this is right. This is the real deal, and so to, to go in there and win at night will be exciting. A couple things, um, kind of sort of sort of related to the game. Number one, I was shocked. It's the first time that I can think of. I'm sure Ohio State fans can tell me if I'm wrong about this. First time I can think of that ESPN Game Day didn't wasn't honest to the best game. Like they're going to Louisville, Florida State, in Louisville, and Herb Street's calling that game with Fowler, I believe, instead yeah. of going to Norman. And now this is a Fox game, but for the most part, ESPN has been loyal to the best game, regardless of what channel it's on. You oftentimes see them in the SEC when the SEC games on CBS. <clears throat> so. I was a little shocked. I mean, I, I understand it. Louisville, Florida State's, um, you know, two undefeated teams, but there's no way in hell that it will even do a, a tenth of the rating that this one will. No chance. Do you think, um, I mean, do you think that's a result of the, the you know, the hat, the the challenge that Fox has kind of thrown at ESPN? It, but I can't remember it, though, man. I mean, I, maybe it's happened. 
before, but I, I mean, there's no doubt that college game day, whichever game they go cover, they basically pimp a broadcast, right? That, right. I mean, they make a really big deal out of one game and they cover the rest of the league, rest of the country. But um, it seems like most of the time they have a pretty solid integrity about it. I mean, I remember talking to Fowler about this years ago and like he was very adamant about we go to the best game, period. I don't care what channel it's on because they went to CBS games because the best games in the SEC Oh, the, sure, week yeah. the SEC has been the best game for about the last 10 years, almost every Saturday, certainly in the conference season. So, you know, they've done that. And, but this is the first time that I can remember it. There may be other instances. I'm sure somebody who's listening can, can bring a couple of a case, but I don't ever remember it affecting Ohio state. Like to me, this clearly they should be in Norman. That will be the best. That will be the place to be. It won't be in Louisville, at Papa John stadium. <laughs> I mean, it's, Louisville's a great town, great bourbon. I love it. But I mean, there's no way in hell that that game's going to have the interest that this one does. No kidding. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I, I think it's odd sometimes because I, I like to believe that those guys have a lot of, you know, we want to get the best, you know, game on television. We want to make sure that we pump it up and talk about it and get people interested and whatnot. On the other hand, I also think that ESPN can be extremely petty sometimes, and I also think that if they were looking for a way to undermine a competitor, they, they might try to look for yeah. that. Hey, it's business. I get it. Like, right. I, that's why I give the show a lot of credit because for the most part, they haven't done that. For the most part, yeah. they've been honest to the matchup. So I give them credit. Uh, the other thing that's kind of ancillary about the game that's I, Ohio State's wearing the beautiful uniforms again with the gray sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> How Which they we should not, always wear. I don't know I mean, why. I mean, I, everybody they're like, says boy, it. and they like, wear what big in games. The like, buddy, what in the hell is the hang up? What's the hang up? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's they the wore best these uniforms uniform. with the gray sleeves under Woody. It's the best uniform. The, the scarlet one is beautiful. I mean, to yeah. me, it's the most perfect incarnation of, a, of an Ohio State uniform there is. And I would put it as one of the best uniforms in the history of college football when they wear the scarlet one with the gray sleeves and even the black numbers. It's just I love the black numbers. Oh, love they look awesome. The whole thing. And I, they're wearing them again in Norman. And I just, I don't know why in the hell they keep trotting out those red sleeve things from the, from the Earl era. I don't, I mean, they changed them. In like well, 06, they went to those things. They've had them for like 10 years. Like enough. Can we just go back to the gray sleeves? It's I think it's just one. the head coaches, you know, because because Trestle's the one who kind of put it over. I think it's the head coaches just kind of going back to their glory years when they were a little younger and thinking, all right, like let's let's make them look the way. You know, it's the same thing with Harbaugh, right? Like you just want to you want them to dress up. You want your kids to dress the way you dressed, right? When you were I younger. Guess, you're but like, put them in this kind of clothes. Wouldn't anybody objectively go, yeah, they, the best uniform Ohio State Ohio State players ever worn is so. the one Eddie George wore? Like, let's just do those. And yeah. that they, they can do it. Like, the way they looked in the national championship game and the march to that game, wearing the white one and the, and the scarlet one, that's flawless. Like, you wore these to a national title. I would think you'd wear them all the time. But yeah, I was having panic attacks stuff. Uh, worrying about whether or not they would wear the scarlets during the the college football playoffs I was like they wore the whites like God, wear the scarlets. Like, well, how about how you remember that how Nike reverse engineered that because that was actually <laughs> yeah, Oregon's call. Oregon <laughs> right. was the number the higher seed, so Oregon was supposed to be the home team. But because Oregon wore the greens in the Rose Bowl and Ohio they State wore the, wore the whites, both underdogs won. Or right. Both. No, no, no. The the low, it would have played out the same way. So they made Oregon wear the all whites, which I remember talking to Oregon people who were pissed off like. We're not white and silver. We're not stormtroopers. Like, <laughs> how are we now? We're playing for a national title, and we can't wear green and yellow. You know. So, um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm proud. I'm happy of that. I'm excited about that. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see how it looks. Um, and and you know, again, as we kind of come full circle on it, this is why you love college football is for this type of matchup with these type of teams. So I'm jacked about it. Um, 
Do we have a uh, Ask Us Anything? we have any of that fun? We do. So we've got a couple Ask Us Anything questions, which again, right. you guys can write into us uh, to dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. We've got All right. Hold on, now. hold on. Yeah, wait, go ahead. Wait. Before we get to that, I have one for the listeners. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So this is my problem. I just moved into this. We bought some land and we built a house, right? And I am terrified of turkeys and birds of prey and birds without feathers <laughs> on their head. And I have a pack of wild turkeys, about 20 of these sons of bitches, that come through here on a daily basis. And me and the boys go out and yell at them, but they keep coming through. So I don't necessarily want to kill these things. Number one, because it's illegal. Number two, because I'd have to clean it up. and It'd be a mess. I'm not adverse to it, but that's, I really don't have any interest in that. So number three, the, the, the big question is, can, do you think it's legal for me to shoot them with paintballs to scare them? <laughs> So that's the first one for the people. And if that, I can't get a dog, so I need a turkey. I need some sort of a turkey proof, uh, proofing plan that will eradicate these pests from my property without resulting to murder. So that's my question for the people. Well, I like that you had the caveat without resulting to murder, because that's obviously the first place that everybody's going to go with that. So I I appreciate I appreciate was, the level of that question is a little I, higher than what I initially thought. But I've already at, looked into it because I wouldn't mind letting people hunt them because I, I don't have a problem with hunting. There's a lot of, you know, it, it, I grew up around it. It's fine. You know, I don't necessarily do it anymore, but when I was a kid, I did. And everybody I grew up with did. So I don't have a big problem with it, but I found out you, I looked into it. You can't hunt the hens. You can only hunt the gobblers, right. the toms. Yeah. Sucks. Which so apparently I, gotta, I, I know what the proper phrase for a male turkey is. I'm not really sure why. Toms. There you go. Well, yeah. Great. So, I, so anybody with any ideas to eradicate me of these things, save for murder, I'd love to hear it. Or getting a dog. My wife will divorce me if I brought a dog home. We have three the kids. Entire, the entire uh, Dubcast post is going to be about turkeys and, and their entomology and stuff like well, that. Well, somebody tell me how to get that would make it all worthwhile. I don't even need a T-shirt from the czar anymore. If somebody just tells me how to do that, I'll be fine. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully they can get on that and hopefully we can, uh, we can come to a solution really quickly. Cause it, they're going to be, it's going to get worse, dude. Like it's not, <laughs> that's not, that I go out there every day way. and I throw rocks at them and I yell at them and the boys chase them and they just, they keep coming back and they're, they walk away. It's not like they're aggressive, but I don't, oh, yeah. I don't want it to turn to that. Like they got to get the hell out of here. May just have to cohabitate, might, you know? No bullshit. I'm not doing that. I will drill. I'm, <laughs> I really think the paintball thing's a decent plan because I right. won't kill them. My only question is, will it, will it, will it, is it, is it legal? Like if I shoot I a turkey like it with it, could a... kill them though. I mean, I really no. like, there's... no, they have turkeys so many padding. Are... I mean, if I suppose if I hit not, them perfectly, they're not a resilient species. I mean, they, they're pretty easily destroyed. That, that, that's not a, that I don't think you hear too many folk tales about the wily turkey. You know what I mean? No, they're pests, man. They're ultra yeah. aggressive too. Like you got to. I think if I hit him, I'm a pretty good aim. I think if I hit him in the, in like the feathers, they, that's just going to scare him. I don't, you know, I, somebody said, well, get a BB, a pellet gun or a BB gun. I thought, well, yeah, if I hit one in the head with a pellet gun, it's going to die. I mean, no oh, yes, doubt. Man. So I don't want any of that. I mean, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Like I, I don't want the mess. Plus I mean, the only thing I hate worse than turkeys are vultures. And if I, if I kill a turkey, then I'm going to have vultures eating the turkey. Right. That's the worst scenario. <laughs> right. You get both. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. an interesting question, and I hope the Dubcast yeah. listeners can help you out with that because my, my solutions would all be like some kind of Rube Goldberg Goldbergian like Home Alone crap. So <laughs> stay away from that. Um, <laughs> all right, so we got some questions here. 
Uh, first one, first ones we got here are from uh, this is from Alvin, good old, good old Asian chipmunk here. Yep. Uh, the first question is for me specifically. When are we going to see the weekly workout post come back from the dead? I used to post some stuff in the forums over the summer uh, about because I, I try to work out, I try to stay fit, and I do a lot of yep. different stuff. I did Pelotonia this year, um, and I got injured. I got hurt a while back, and I stopped doing the posts, and I was a little depressed, and I came back, but I, I didn't start it up again. So you know what? Just for you, Alvin, I'm, I'm going to do it next Sunday. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about all the boring minutiae of going to a gym filled with old people and trying not to get mad at them so well you shouldn't have to go to a gym right now the weather's great so you should be able to just go outside and yeah there's a lot yeah there's and, and that's the biking thing like we my girlfriend yeah, I did about 12 miles on sunday and it was it was gorgeous it was great yeah that's awesome great uh so next question this is one is for you specifically do you prefer tv or radio and why oh that's a great question um i preferred radio because there's no time limit on it and for the most part but television sportscasts for the most part are like two and a half minutes so yeah. that sucks and you're supposed to i don't even know i honest to god i don't know what the point of a television sportscast in a local news is anymore <laughs> i don't know what the we're, i used to say this all the time when i was at channel 10 I, I don't know what we're trying to do here i don't know what this is like am i really going to tell you the score of an indians game that ended two and a half hours ago or an hour and a half ago and act like it's news like if you yeah. care you know so the whole thing's kind of flawed um, but I will say, uh, so I love that about radio. I love not being held back in radio. Like you could say whatever you wanted, like this forum is a great forum for that. But one thing that I will tell you about television is there is nothing quite like being on live television when something big is happening. Mm, um, yeah. and the example I can, the, the rush of that is pretty much unmatched. I was, Dom and I were at, after Ohio state won the national championship, we went live for like an hour and 15 minutes straight and there was no script. And there was not, we had basically, we were just listening to our sports director, tell us where to Paul Spahn tell he'd been there for 40 years, legendary guy. He was just basically saying, all right, go to break, do this. But we were just pulling guys off the field. And I remember like grabbing Vaughn Bell or Tyvis Powell or Ezekiel Elliott or, you know, Malcolm Jenkins and Lord, James Laurinaitis were on the field. We grabbed those guys. We had Shelly Meyer came on and we were all just, we were just making up television as it went. And to me, that was the, of all of the things I've done in my career, that was the, from an adrenaline feeling like you accomplished something standpoint. And we saw the ratings were huge for it, which was awesome. Um, so that was like really gratifying and it was fun. Like live television, when something really big is happening is really cool. But the problem with it now is, is that it's, you know, most of the time limited to six and 11. And by that point, this thing that called the World Wide web, everything's already out. Right. Like, there's no such thing. So anytime you see like local news, and they go breaking news. Well, it's BS. There's no such thing as breaking news. I mean, it happened two hours ago. Yeah, it's so, already broken. Yeah, the whole the whole concept of the local news has to change. Um, otherwise, it's going to end up like the newspaper industry, where they're, they're just way too slow to change. Yeah, that's a that's I think that's great insight. And honestly, I've always been super jealous whenever I've seen you know you guys on on Ten TV or, or any other stuff that you guys did with the, the sports and just like you said the live element. I mean, I was thinking about the Cavs championship and just yeah. watching people react. And it's just awesome. be there in the crowd like that. I, I can't cool. imagine the kind of energy that you must get from that. I mean, you could, God, you could probably go for hours and hours and not even remember what you did just because You're exactly it's right. so intense. Well, and you you got a taste of that when you did wall to wall with me live and we were down. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fun. Like, like, the, like the, I, I remember, remember the chaos of that, though. I mean, yeah. how chaotic that was. But that's that's fun. Like, right. And, and really, the show we're doing, you know, for 11 Warriors, the, the show that we're doing with 11 Warriors with Time Warner Cable that has the elements that I like boast in the TV, you know, a healthy debate dialogue, no time limit on how long you can talk. Um, 
the, 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 what we did when we tried to create the show was in my mind, I tried to use the best things I liked about TV and use those on the show. Um, and we'll get to the point where we're doing it live at some point, but, um, we, now we tape it plausibly live, you know, a couple, about an hour and a half before it airs. Um, so, but, but live television is at, at its best on a big breaking sports story is as cool as it gets. Yeah. That, that just sounds fantastic. And yeah, you know, I, I have some experience doing some other stuff with regards to that. And I I always appreciated and always admired people who could react to those types of things, those live events off the cuff and still be insightful and interesting because that showed me that that person cared as much about that event as I did. And as a result, I was more invested in the show and I wanted to keep watching and I would, I would watch whoever they brought on because I just know that that level of excitement matched mine. And I thought that was awesome. There's nothing like unscripted sports. Whether it's radio, I mean, we don't script this show or what, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and live television, you know, television, most local television is incredibly scripted. But uh, when you're in those moments following a post game or uh, and you're on late at night and you're, you know, things are happening quickly, that's the best. That's as good as it gets. Yeah. Well, okay. So, last question we have here, I'm going to go combine two here. Okay. Uh, who, this is from Jason. Wyatt, uh, how do you uh, feel that the Buckeye team would do on the golf course? Who do you think has the lowest handicap, either football coach or player? I would bet one of like the, I could see like a kicker or punter having the lowest handicap. <laughs> Those guys are usually pretty good golfers because most of the time they're just messing around. Right. Um, so I would say pr- probably one of those guys. And from a coach standpoint, gosh, the only one I've seen play is Urban. And I've seen him play a lot. And he's, his golf game's come a long ways. He would probably win a coaching, like if they had a coaching golf tournament, I would say that he would win. Shiano might be sneaky good too, though, because he's been, anybody who's a head coach, you play in a lot of outings. So I would say that those two guys would have the best chance to be good. And then from a um, from a player standpoint, yeah, it'd have to be, oh, our gosh, our punters are New Zealanders or Australians or whatever the heck. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they play. I guess they do, certain, certainly. <laughs> See, for me, it's always, there. So on they, the player side, it's, it's always like somebody you don't expect, right? Like some guy, yeah. some guy has a secret bowling hobby and he's got, right. you know, he's got like a 298 average, something stupid. Um, I would say maybe it's like an offensive lineman or something like that. Just something completely unexpected right. and ridiculous. And then for coaches, I'm with you on Shiano. Dude's probably had a lot of time to perfect his yeah. game over he's the years. In Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's probably been in the position to do that. So I'm gonna go with Shiano on that one. And that's that's ask us anything. Those are the questions that we got. All right. So give me an answer on the turkey thing. Let's go, let's go down to Norman. If you're one of the people going, just appreciate how cool it is. Cause it's, these things don't happen very often. Take it. Don't drink so much that you don't re- remember what the hell happened. Cause it's, oh, yeah, 100%. you're going to want to remember this one a little bit, no matter what the outcome is. Uh, all right, buddy. So next week we'll recap it. And uh, this is the one we've all been waiting for. So folks, if you're out there listening, by God, enjoy it. It'll, it'll be fun.